Hello, 20-somethings and son-of-a-ginger listeners. Welcome to another episode. I'm Patrick Baylor. Today we're talking Francis Ha, directed by Noah Baumbach. And written by Greta Gerwig. And Noah Baumbach. In today's episode, Mason found the characters very relatable. For me, it was the question of whether or not it's more practical to know what you do want versus what you don't. Patrick's a fan of when characters lock eyes across the room. When Sophie does come back and you see them just darting eyes across the room, that was my nice little sweet, aw, they're friends, tearing moment. But folks, before we continue, we must address the elephant in the room. We don't have Beth Marcinko anymore. Yeah, unfortunately, she's moved on to greener pastures. We wish her the best, uh, but, you know, we're going to continue on with our episode. The show must go on. Wait! You guys... I'm here. Beth, you're back. Where have you been? And what's that new haircut you're rocking? I just went on a wild podcasting ride, and I just want to record with you guys if it's okay if I come back. Of course it is. We were so sad that you left. Here's all my piles of tissues, as you can see from all the crying I've been doing. Oh, God. Patrick, when's the last time you took your trash out? Two hours ago. It's been tough. But even when Beth's here, that's still full of tissues. I don't understand. I hate seeing a friend leave. Beth, why are you back? You seem so sure that you wanted to leave. I thought I did. And then I got out and did some other stuff and it just wasn't right. It wasn't Son of a Ginger. Well, what the hell did you do that made you come to this realization? Guys, listen to the shit. Welcome to another edition of Bobbin' with the Cats. I'm Bob. And I'm Cat. And we're talking all the cool news at the Milledgeville Pizzeria. But first we have a new host with us, Mrs. Beth Marcinko. How's it going, Beth? Meow. I'm really good, guys. I'm just so excited to be here co-hosting the show with you. Now we gotta talk about what's been happening on campus, and that's the crazy SGA election results. Beth, who'd you vote for? Well, if I could have voted, I really would have voted for Kelly Wazowski. Kelly Wazowski, who went here five years ago, around? Wait a second. Beth, do you even go here anymore? No, but Bobcats forever? No, Beth, you're nothing now. Get off campus now! Oh, okay. I- Bye, guys! Welcome back to Audio Ballet. I hope you have your shoes on. Make sure the toes are nice and bandaged and start to plie, reglige, releve. And now we kick over to our host Beth, who will show you her moves now. And plie, and releve. Am I doing this right? You're doing perfect, darling. But how do the listeners know? Is there a camera in the room? No, we don't allow video in the studio. But then how do they learn from the podcast? They listen to our words, darling. Do you not know about words? I know plenty about words, but just hearing the word relevé wouldn't mean anything to anyone who's not a dancer. It means something to our 20,000 listeners. You will not be in the Christmas show. Oh, God. Now get out of my sight. All right, welcome back to the Philosopher's Guide to Sigs in Song. Looks like Bobby's doing it well, and I'm Robbie, and we're having fun. That's nice. We just got an air purifier, and we're smoking some uh, Marlboro Malls, and we got our new co-host, Beth Marjinka. You know what I mean? Well, okay, first of all, it's Beth Marcinko. <laughs> Talk about sinks inside, am I right? She can sink one like Battleship. Those are a smoke of rokers, you know what I mean, bro? Hold on, hold on, everyone be quiet. I got a spark collider. 
Now, Beth, as you smoke on that fat stogie, tell us what you thought about Plato's allegory of the cave. <laughs> you having a little trouble there? I thought I could do this, but I just can't. But this is the philosopher's guide to Sigs inside. Sigs inside! I know, guys. I thought I could hang, but I can't do this. Are you even a philosopher? Yes. Honestly, if you're not a smoker, I don't know if I can trust what you're saying right now. So I think it's best if you just l -l -l leave. I think that's best for my lung health. I gotta go back to Son of a Ginger. Oh my god, they're recording tonight! What's lung health? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> So that's what I've been doing since I've been gone. And I have to tell you guys, you're way better co-hosts than all the other people out there. Aw, I'm so happy that we're just a cut above a podcast where they just talk about philosophy and chain smoke cigarettes. That warms my heart. Yeah, those guys aren't living past 28. Well, Beth, we're about to talk about Francis Ha. Did you get to see it? Hell yeah, I did. Wait, how did you know to watch Francis Ha? Uh, because it's on our calendar. Hell yeah, cool. Let's start the show. Yeah! Well, guys, it's been a wild ride for me this week, but I'm back and we're talking about the 2012 Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig film, Francis Ha. As always, I'm your host, Beth Marcinko, here with my co-hosts. I'm Patrick Baylor. And I'm Mason Indie Movie Moreau. And we're here talking about this movie from 2012 as the first episode in a series of rewind episodes that we're going to give to you guys. Yeah, I think we're just going to each kind of challenge each other each episode to watch a movie take turns picking one it was my pick this time and it was a movie that i had always sort of wondered like is this a good one is this a bad one i've heard from multiple people different opinions so for the first one out of the gate i figured that we'd all kind of try it and i feel like we all felt kind of differently about the movie with this being the first of this new format every few episodes we have spoofed noah Baumbach in a way previously on our uh, streaming showdown Netflix episode where we reenacted a scene from Marriage Story slightly. But now that you've been able to dive a little bit deeper into his sort of backlog of films, what do you guys think? Did I make a good choice? I'd say so. I definitely noticed his style comparing the two and seeing both Marriage Story and Francis Ha in like a short span of months. He just loves being in New York, having Adam Driver somewhere, talking about entertainment at some part. Is it in Adam Driver's contracts that he can only perform in New York and New Jersey? Because I feel like everything I've seen him in is set in one of those two places. Whenever Adam Driver does a movie with a budget that's like hovers around $10 million, he it's like contractually obligated for him to wear a large cardigan. And what a great hat too. But I'd say this was a fun pick because for me, I love coming of age films and this was definitely that for coming to your age in your 20s and... We're all actively doing that right now. I would say we're as disheveled as Francis, but we're all figuring it out. This was a nice movie to see a nice character figure it out. Yeah, I thought Adam Driver's hat was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I... Right out the gate with the harsh criticism, Beth. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with that goddamn hat? <laughs> I haven't seen Marriage Story, so I'll throw that out there right off the bat. But this film grew on me. I didn't really like it in the beginning. To me, it started off sounding badly written. It felt very stiff, especially from Greta Gerwig, which I was initially very disappointed about because I like her and I like her as a director. So half of me while I was watching her like act at the beginning of the film was like, well, I'm glad she's a director. Now, <laughs> as I kept watching it, it really grew on me. I felt like the second half of the movie was 
a lot better written and felt a lot more real. And I don't know if that's just because like her character grew and maybe grew into more of a person who she could identify with. Maybe that was part of it. The other thing that I guess grew on me is that she got progressively less cringy and a little more self-aware and self-awareness is a big thing for me in real life. So to watch a character grow into that self-awareness was really satisfying. I just felt like the cringiness in the beginning didn't pay off for me. Like it paid off for me in humor in something like The Office where you have that horribly cringy situation, but there's a lot of humor behind it. I didn't get that payoff in the beginning and I was really happy to see Greta Gerwig's character grow out of it. One thing that sort of felt like it was evident about this film is that as it progresses, like you said, it gets a little more focused in and starts to understand what it is, the film. And that's when you start having characters return that are and, and sort of rhymes within the story where lines are set again and with new meaning recontextualized and that kind of thing. And so, like, I think this is a theory, right? Maybe this was a script that wasn't really edited a whole bunch like the, it was started at one point and finished at a very different point, And they tried to make that work to slightly varying results. But I think overall, I really liked it. This was my first time watching it also. Like I didn't just make you guys watch something I had already seen. And I liked how it sort of played out. Like it's weird for me because there are lots of movies like this that seem like they could be plays. They seem like they could totally just be on a stage instead mm -hmm. uh, and work on a stage. But in order to get the most amount of people to see the story, they put it on screen instead. I remember I had professors that I studied abroad with in college talking about how they never pay to go see movies that are just talking head movies. That's what they said. That was like literally the quote. And would you call this a talking head movie? I would call it a talking head movie. So one of these professors was one of the animators of Stitch. <laughs> from Lilo and Stitch. But, you know, it was so weird for me to see these people who, who like, had had their sort of careers around entertainment and that sort of thing really have this rigid area where they draw the line. I'm not going to pay to just go see some people talk on a screen for an hour and a half. I want to see some special effects and I want to see some explosions because that's the marvel of technology that really is what drives you into the theater, right? Thanks to Marvel's technology. Yeah, I guess. But like, I didn't really agree with that. I like movies that are very thoughtful character studies. I have talked about plenty of them on shows past. And yeah, what I really enjoyed about this was the true character deep dive that was who is Frances Ha and seeing her meld and go through and really grow as a person in these different situations and what the plot kind of is, is her kind of losing her friendship with her best friend and seeing how that affects her and the rest of her life. Well, yes, like I thought the core of the story is very good and true and has good roots. And I feel like that's what saved it for me. I think that some of the ways that that's shown, especially in the beginning of the movie, don't always land for me. What didn't land? I felt like one of the initial conversations with her best friend in the apartment, maybe it was when they were talking about guys and like talking about sex. I just felt like Francis and Sophie's dynamic didn't necessarily accurately reflect how strong their friendship seemed to have been described. I felt like there was a lot of exposition that described their friendship being very strong and you kind of got that they did everything together. 
that they were roommates and best friends and, you know, almost like life partners who just like did everything together. And you certainly got that, I guess, more from Frances because like this is from her point of view. And with that kind of opening montage, you set that up. But then in conversation, it just didn't come across to me as well. Nothing sets it up better than oh, we're an old lesbian couple that doesn't have sex. That's not really set it up, right? I do agree with you, Beth, that there's a lot of subtlety in the dialogue that showed up and that wasn't consistent across the board. And so for me, I felt like it more played off to enhance the subtlety, but at the same time, it got a little cheesy and the dialogue became unbelievable at points. But for instance, there's a part where Francis is always talking about Sophie and she's saying, oh, we're we're practically the same person, just she has glasses or whatever she says every Different time. Different hair. Different hair, right? And I felt like that was well-written and it keeps coming up in the story. And it says, Francis believes that they're the same person, but it's very clear that they're not, right? Mm-hmm. Francis is a little delusional. And that is sort of the root of what gets the story going is that Francis is like just trying to survive in New York and trying to live her life and trying to understand what she wants out of life. And realizing that she can't have what she wants out of life in the way that she thought she could. And I think one of the most brilliant pieces of writing, regardless of how inconsistent the whole script is, was, I don't know about you guys, but in my head, I was asking myself, like, why is this movie called Frances Ha? Her last name is not Ha. Uh, Is it just kind of a funky little thing? And then at the end, they have the scene of her actually moving into her own place. And she folds down the mailbox marquee or whatever. And it says Francis Ha. And it symbolizes that she's grown up. She's moved on into the next stage of her life and accepted her situation and is making the best out of it, right? Yeah, like she's actually coming into her own. And I think that when she finally reaches this point, I believed her and believed her life and believed her journey of growth that we've seen. I don't want to be negative about this whole movie because I actually thought it was kind of funny and I liked it and I really liked a lot of the artistic choices. In the beginning, it was just a little hard to believe and hard to get through, I guess, for maybe the first 30 to 40 minutes. Which when you're writing a movie like this, it's supposed to be very slice of life. If it begins pretty unbelievable, then you haven't done your job right. If that's what viewers are thinking. Come on, Noah. Well, Noah and Greta, equally culpable co-writers on this. Now, nah, we'll we'll blame Noah for this one. I like Greta more. <laughs> I really like Greta, too. And I thought that she eventually did a very good job portraying this character. Yeah, because here's the thing. Like, I'm not too familiar with Greta Gerwig as an actress. Like, the only other thing I think I've seen her act in was I Love Dogs, where she was like one of the voices. I think otherwise, I haven't seen too many Greta Gerwig acting flicks. So it was nice to see her truly shine as the star. And I would agree, I think, yeah, at the beginning, she was a bit rigid. But I think Mason, yeah, at your point, you know, she does really like grow into said character to maybe that's like even more of a symbol of she's this boring cookie cutter New York lady that doesn't have much of her life together. And then she kind of figures out that life, right? And that's what gives her some more of that personality and flair that she is at more of her dire needs to where she can kind of be truly herself. Mm -hmm. And I think that the film picks up where she's very much a person who's flying by the seat of her pants, right? Mm -hmm. She's, She's living paycheck to paycheck, just making things work. She's working to live, not living to work. And spending that tax rebate. Right, exactly. I think that the thematic elements that they explore in this movie about being in your mid to late 20s are pretty applicable to our lives 
currently. And at least for myself, I found that she was doing something that I fall into where I find out everything that I don't want, but don't focus too much on what I do. And I feel like she was doing the same thing. When she was at the dance company, she's like, oh, I want to be at the company. I want to do this. I want to do that. Right. It was clear that she was doing that because it was what she felt was like the step to keep what she had going. I disagree with that slightly because I think that she thought she wanted to be a dancer and thought that she wanted to be part of that company and have that kind of success. I think the difference came when the, I guess, director of the studio or whoever her boss was at the studio told her that she had confidence in her ability to choreograph. And maybe she had just never thought that her choreography was any good, that it didn't really cross her mind that she could take other steps with that and be successful in the field she wants to be in just in a different way. And I feel like that is something that I very much identify with working in media, but having come from a college program that was very focused on being on a film crew. It's a different avenue of success for skills that I developed but never knew that this was an option before I found it. I think we both picked up on different things that we very much gravitated towards that we related to in our real lives, right? And for me, it was the question of whether or not it's more practical to know what you do want versus what you don't. And then for you, I guess it was finding out that there are avenues that you didn't consider. That isn't that one that's like right on the page that is like the written down list of, hey, here's the steps that you need to do to get here, kind of finding it your own way. And that's what I liked about this movie, because she did kind of find it her own way, going to Paris, going back to school. Well, she made a lot of mistakes, and she made a lot of mistakes that she didn't realize she was making. Which is an important lesson, I think, that anyone can learn at our age or at any point. You need to make mistakes to, like, you know, learn from them, you know? Exactly. It's very much a movie where you watch someone grow up, but it's not The Breakfast Club. It's not Home Alone. It's much more mature. It deals with things that I feel like would be considered pretty boring to anyone who's below our age. So in that way, is it appealing to a wide audience? Probably not, but I didn't expect it to be. Will our parents watch this movie? I feel like our parents would enjoy it. My parents would enjoy it. My mom would enjoy it, I feel. I think my dad would really like this movie. I think my mom would be equally repelled by the cringiness and like want to shut it off. I think she would enjoy like the character study. I think both my parents would enjoy the character study, but I think my parents would watch this. And I think that it is generally appealing if you like to watch a character journey. I see my mom watching this. My dad will ask where the punching is, but that's a whole nother thing. (laughs) When does this turn into John Wick? And speaking of writing, why don't you show us your writing skills by leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And while you're at it, throw a little follow on our Instagram at Son of a Ginger Podcast. Now back to the show. But, you know, we haven't even talked about the technical side of things because I feel like this movie was very well shot in this sort of black and white documentarian style that's just very true to life. There's no bells and whistles. It very much seems like a few cameras set up in some choice places, some pretty choice framing and nice cinematography across the board. Yeah, and I know, like, I think Noah Baumbach even said, like, that was his intention to make it, like, this very bare-bones thing to where you're only focusing on the characters, not some cool-ass lens flare or some other stuff. It's that right kind of basic to where it still looks nice, but, yeah, you're only focusing on the people on screen and not much else. 
I was very yeah focused in on the characters. Like I know y'all really enjoyed those close-ups, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I especially liked when we saw Frances lay down on the bed when she had the spins and we kind of got right up in her face and just kind of saw her calm down because she felt grounded, literally. She had one foot on the ground and I feel like that was almost a turning point, I guess, in the movie. I didn't realize it at that time, but thinking about it now, Benji's character literally grounded her in that moment. And I didn't even realize that part until now that you mention it, because what's cool as the movie progresses, Francis and Sophie's relationship rekindles and Francis literally gives Sophie that same advice to keep one of her feet grounded. So the spins stop. Mm-hmm. She learned from a mistake. <gasps> yeah. Well, and not only learned from a mistake, but like was able to then ground her friend and bring her back down to their relationship and really refocus their friendship. Yeah. And another fold in this is that it also shows that she developed and learned more things with the absence of Sophie. She continued to grow as a person without this person that she considered being her like partner in crime through her early adult years, right? And so it's something that you could tell through the writing that she wasn't very confident not having around ended up being good for her to not have her around, right? She learned new things. She had new experiences, and she was able to come back and enrich the friendship later, which is also very brilliant structure-wise. The other big shot choice that I really liked, it was a bit obvious because literally earlier on in the movie, Francis says, I want to find that person that I can look across the room with and we make eyes at each other across the room, but it's not possessive, yada yada. We just know we're each other's person. And I really liked seeing them do that sequence later on in the movie when Sophie does come back into Francis's life and you see them just darting eyes across the room and making that exact same sentiment. That really warmed my heart. And that was my nice little sweet, oh, they're friends, tearing moment, you know? Hold on, Patrick. When did Dark Knight Rises come out? 2012. Really? Yeah. Dark Knight Rises, 2012. So you know the final scene of Dark Knight Rises. Earlier in the movie, Alfred is telling Bruce Wayne that he has a dream that one day he'll retire to Venice or whatever and just look up and Bruce will just be there with his wife and nothing will be wrong anymore. He won't be Batman and he'll know that they have both ended up okay. And they won't talk, but they'll just lock eyes. And then that happens at the end where Batman dies and he thinks that Bruce is dead and Alfred ends up retiring to Italy and all of a sudden Bruce is sitting across from him in the cafe and they lock eyes and that's the end of the film. Same year? Are you joking? So I think that Chris Nolan, Noah Baumbach, and Greta Gerwig all went to the same writing convention. They had a beer <laughs> together. Had a beer. Be like, yeah, let's show our characters are cool with each other. How do we do that? They lock eyes across the room. Oh, they're homies. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's what Chris Nolan actually sounds like, by the way. In case you didn't know. Not like this. I don't know. I think like the locking eyes across the room is like a relatively common film trope where you have that symbol of connection because the eyes are the window to the soul and you have that, you know, instant recognition. Totally. But the fact that they hit me on the head with it was like, I think that was the sweet part for me. I don't know. Sure. I think it really worked in this case. I really thought it was cute that as friends, they did that. It wasn't a romantic thing. It was this deep friendship connection that they almost rekindled in the end and nailed you with. So there's the difference. It was very romantic between Alfred and Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Extremely romantic. (laughs) Like, call me by your name. Get out of here. 
It was just, it was Dark Knight Rises all the way. <laughs> oh, so we're going to talk about Timothy Chalamet this week, too? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Timmy and those narrow hips of his. <laughs> his shoulders, it's his shoulders that are narrow. Everything's narrow with Timothy Chalamet. He's going to be the new Elijah Wood. Timothy Chalamet is going to be the lead in Dune coming out this fall. And that's being praised as like the next big epic. So this fall, look for a review of Dune. Yeah, super excited. But, you know, speaking about movies that are coming out in the future, do you smell a sequel to Francis Ha? No. Ha! Nope. Because here we are talking about it eight years later, so if they were going to make one. But I would like to see one to see Francis Ha. It's me in my 30s now. <laughs> I think that that would honestly be kind of fun. I really liked the actor who plays Benji, Michael Zegan, as Greta Gerwig's match in this. I think that aesthetically they, to me, work very well together. And I really like their characters and his little joke about like being undateable and like bringing that back. I thought that that was super cute. And I think that, you know, should their relationship grow and evolve past the point where he's just asking her if she's dating anyone, I think that they would be really an interesting dynamic to explore beyond being platonic roommates. But maybe it's a love triangle thing because he has to compete with Adam Driver, but not as Lev, as Charlie from A Marriage Story, because he's in New York too. And we just, you know, grow out the bombach averse even more. <laughs> There's something to be said sequel-wise for this movie because of such a heavy theme in this movie is the passage of time. It's also just very much set in a certain decade of her life, right? So you could make another movie and pick up later in her life, mm -hmm. do something sort of similar to Linklater's Before Trilogy, where he has three movies and they pick up 10 years after one another. I feel like you could feasibly make a sequel work like this and have it be about her 30s or her 40s. So this one would be called Francis Haha? <laughs> It'd be called Francis Having a Good Time. And every subsequent movie adds a new letter to the <laughs> <laughs> sentence. I can get behind that. That's a real Francis Haha for me. But, you know, speaking of heavy themes, a big heavy theme of each one of our podcasts is that we let you know that you should leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you're listening to us right now, you should go back and listen to our library where we review much more current things. Hey, we got old, we got new, we got Francis, and she goes... Boo! Boo! <laughs> Francis Boo, that's the next sequel. She plays a ghost! What if she haunts Sophie? Coming this Halloween. Okay, all of the sequels are just Francis insert onomatopoeia. So like Francis eek, Francis boom, Francis ha, Francis kapow. That's the kung fu one. That's the one that my dad will watch. <laughs> that's the one that Mr. Baylor will watch. But until then, Francis A to Z, I'm Patrick Baylor. I'm Beth Marcinko. And I'm Mason Indie Movie Moreau. And will Francis see you later? Francis, have a good night. Yeah.